Yo, y'all awake? I have a, a new mom back there that was like her with a new baby, and she's like, why'd you just yell like that? I thought, he's used to his brothers. I just want to welcome little man to his first fathom service. We're so excited. Can we golf clap? Hey, we got a new baby in the house. We're so excited to, to have new little babies being born. I think there's been like four of them born already this year. Crazy. And I think there's like four more that are pregnant. And so if you are not interested in being pregnant, you just need to have conversations from a distance or something. You know, I don't know if it's, if it's something everybody's catching, but uh, I'm excited, excited about what God's doing here and what uh, he's going to speak into this time. Uh, God's just doing something fresh in our hearts. And I believe that as we've kind of just engaged on this, this new season in the life of our church, I, I believe there's just a battle raging on because I don't think the enemy likes anything that what's happening in your heart, hates it in fact. And so that there's, there's this battle kind of waging. And so if you're feeling that, I want you to know there's a bunch of other people that are feeling that too and you're not feeling that alone. Uh, and that is just, I, I believe it's significant. I believe that we are, we're, we're just on the threshold there. And so if you're fighting through some physical stuff, some emotional stuff, through some temptation, through whatever it might be, I just want to tell you, keep pushing. Keep pushing. Keep pushing. Stay focused. Don't listen to all, all the stuff that's kind of going on. The enemy is waging, and just um, be sensitive to what God's doing. He's drawing us into a deeper place, and I believe that today is going to be a big day for that. I believe that a lot of times we come, and like, I hope to take away a nugget. I, I'm thinking that you're going to leave a lot of stuff here, more than what you brought. Uh, it's going to be one of those days. I truly believe what God's uh, leading us to, and so uh, we're going to dive into the scripture here in just a minute, but I want to welcome guests. If this is your first time at Fathom, um, you're not stranger danger to us. We love you, like family. Like we immediately just embrace you. Our first core value here is unconditional love. That means God loves you right where you're at, and so we love you right where you're at. And we just want to do life with you, and uh, we believe that this is a house that's about building faith and family. And so we just want to invite you to just, if this feels like home, just plant yourself um, fruit only happens when you plant yourself, when you root yourself, root yourself in community, root yourself in God's word, root yourself in worship. Um, if you're wondering why there's not been fruit in your life, think about, have you been rooted, founded in faith, in, um, in family? And so if this is your first time here, we just want to tell you, welcome home, welcome home. It sounds a little bit cultish, but we don't mean it like that. We're really not a cult. Uh, welcome home. There's been a couple times I call you guys out, like, that was way too coldish. You need a little more smile on your face um, when, when you say it. No, we, we really are. We're excited you're here, and we'd love to connect with you and just build a relationship. Uh, today, we're starting a brand new series called This Is Us. How many of you guys have seen the new TV show, This Is Us? How many of you guys are, like, diehard fans, right? How many of you guys keep the tissues with you when you do it? Yep, that's the that's kind of thing. Uh, I actually haven't seen the show yet, but uh, I know it's all about relationships. There's a lot of kind of marriage stuff and kind of friendships, old relationships. And so from now until Memorial Day weekend, we're just going to spend talking about relationships. Because uh, there's, there's an old kind of saying that goes around, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Um, and I think that's even more so when you begin to think about a marriage or a dating relationship, you spend more time with that person than anybody. And so what's happening in those closest friendships, those closest relationships, dating, or um, eventually marriage, possibly, what's happening there is usually reflected in a lot of our other relationships and really what's going on. And so I, today, I, I really want to start um, by talking to singles, but more than I'll be talking to singles, I, I really 
I really want to, to share about the individual. I want to share about the individual because the indivi- two individuals make up a, a, a marriage, two individuals, and so I want to unpack that. Um, but I, I just want to kind of start with, with just a, a little bit of an aside, a little bit of a soapbox, if you will. Is it okay if I get on my little tiny soapbox here for just a second? I want to talk to the marrieds and I want to talk to the singles. Um, uh, first of all, singles, I, I want to tell you, um, if you're insecure about your place as a single, um, the scriptures don't let you do that. Um, if you feel uh, kind of less than than a, maybe a, a married counterpart, or maybe you should kind of kind of have your act together, or why or why can't I meet somebody? And that that kind of builds up into some all kinds of insecurity stuff. It really does. And if you're if you're battling with it, that, I want to, want you to know that first of all, this house affirms you right where you're at. And, and you're not less than, you, you are just fine right where you're at, um, as far as your relational status. Uh, the, the two dominant figures in the New Testament, Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul, were both single. And Paul says, look, it's actually better, you know, if you can kind of withstand and, and, and keep your pants on, then it's probably going to be better for you um, to, to stay single, because you can have more time to devote to the ministry. And so for a lot of you that are restless in this season, I, I just want you to take a deep breath, singles. It's okay. Like God's doing something in the season. Let him, let it, let him do that. Um, and and for, for married, it's kind of what I'd want to say to you is, and this is not widespread, but I think there are places of this, and I think it only adds to insecurities that singles might have. I, I first want to tell you, include them in your life. Same thing with you singles. Include married people in your life. I know you don't want to hang out with somebody with kids all the time if you're um, like a, a young single without kids. Um, but it get, you need to be in that kind of community that's different from you. You're able to learn and glean a lot from those that have been there. Um, but I'd also say to, to the married folks in the house, um, sometimes like there's like these little gradual comments or residual comments here and there, and it's not widespread, but it happens, that is, is almost demeaning towards a, a single adult. And, and uh, I, I want to guard you from that. I want to caution you of that. Uh, it's not godly. Uh, I want you to be affirming. I want you to be inviting. Uh, invite a single over to your house. Uh, and, and invite into some conversation. and Just build those friendships uh, across the board. Does that make sense? All right, so I'm off my soapbox. It's just important to me. I don't want, I don't want any of that. It causes division in the house, and it's not, uh, it's not godly. So let's talk, let's talk today. I want to talk about really the individuals. I don't know about you, but I've got like a couple of shows that I like the reruns on. You know what I'm talking about? And then there's shows like I never want to see that show again. It's like after you saw it. You saw it. Like for me, I saw Passion of the Christ once. And like I just don't need to re- go and see that every year. Think I'm a, a sacrilegious pastor. It's just really intense. And like I, I felt it and experienced it that one time. Like my shows that I watch a lot, um, like on rerun, is The Office. Like I love that show. And then when I'm really tired, like, I, like the other day I woke up at like 4 a.m. And I've been doing a lot of this waking up in the middle of the night type stuff. Um, and then my go-to rerun show, what's your go-to rerun show in the middle of the night? Lost. Somebody said Friends. Mine is Law and Order, because I know it's going to put me right back to sleep. So it's just like a rocking me to sleep and like, ba-bum, you know, like going on in the back. Um, those, are my, those are my reruns. And I think there's like other shows that I've seen it once and I, I never want to watch it again. And I think if we, we looked at our lives I think there's some reruns that, you know, from like our, our parents' marriage or uh, relationships from a childhood that we wish we could have a rerun on. We wish we could have uh, that. But then there's other reruns where like, I hope that never, I never have to see that abuse that happened to my house when I was a kid. I hope I never 
we never yell like my parents yelled, whatever that is. I'm, I'm just saying that as a, a generality. Because here's the truth that statistics tell us that 87% of single adults, you know, want to be married. 87%, that's like only one out of the 10 that actually don't care to get married. Um, and so this is why it's important, and even for those that are single in the house, um, I, I think it's important that we kind of look at, at this ahead of time as opposed to wishing we would have had it down the road. And so, you know, uh, and of that, 82% actually want it to be a lifelong thing. They expect it to be forever. But the truth is that 31% will, it will uh, reduce the likelihood of divorce if there's training, if we engage in this. And so singles, if when we have kind of a series that's on kind of marriage and things like that, many times we're like, oh, why did I come today? This wasn't for me. Well, first of all, this one is exactly for you. <laughs> and then second of all, I'd, I'd rather you know it on the front end. I'd rather you know it 10 years early than three years too late or six months too late. You, you guys with me? And so just engage in it. Even if you're not in that season right now, engage in it for your own um, well-being and your health. And I just believe that God's going to do some things that's beyond just singles and couples, but it's, it's about the individual, what's going on in our hearts. Because um, the, the best the way that you can best set up your marriage is to have two people who are deeply rooted in Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible talks about not being unequally yoked, people that are on two different places spiritually. If you're already married and your spouse is not a believer, the scripture says you shouldn't divorce him. But if, if you're in a place right now and you're single and you're just dating around with people who are not believers, like the, the scriptures like strongly warn you and teach against that. Uh, and there's a reason for it, because your faith is probably what you would say everything to you. It's the, most, it's the biggest priority in your life. And so if you're in a marriage already that's like that, the scriptures tell you don't, don't rush in, uh, let God work. There's probably you know, a reason, hindsight, that he'll do this. Uh, sometimes that's difficult, though. Um, but having two people that are deeply rooted in uh, Christ will completely change the trajectory of your marriage. It just will. And so um, I, for me, when I was uh, single and, and uh, looking and I, and I saw Taryn, I actually saw her, I think, for the first time. I met her earlier in the day, and I saw her in a worship service like this. And when I saw her worshiping, I was like, she is the one for me. <laughs> it did. It, it, it revealed something to me. I mean, it was the most attractive quality to me. And I would say that to you singles, the most attractive quality in a, in a person that you are looking to date should be their love for God and their passion for God. You may be attracted uh, immediately on the outside, but if the inside's uh, rotten, that, that'll be what you're dealing with, you know. And so um, uh, no, no such thing as uh, evangel, uh, evangelistic kind of um, sing, you know, dating, you know. I feel like that's what my brother used to be like during the day. He would, or uh, when we were young, he'd like go date girls. And he's like, I'm going to bring them to Jesus, you know, as he's dating all these girls. Um, but that's not really what the scripture teaches us. Um, Wait, be patient, but it's really, because a marriage is never going to be, it's only going to be as healthy as the least healthy person in that relationship. A marriage will only be as healthy as the least healthy person in that relationship. And so what do we do about that? Many times what happens is in a marriage, can I borrow you, Taryn? Can I borrow you? Yeah. She's taking such good notes, you know. See, I told you she's awesome. Um, so what many times happens is we create this A-frame relationship where we're like leaning. There you go, right? And so this is all well and good. And like this person's going to fulfill me. They're going to hold me up. Um, but what happens when she falls? Yeah, I, I fall too. Um, 
and, and we've kind of made this kind of A-frame kind of picture of it. Thank you, that's all I needed, is just, <laughs> just to rub my head on you for a second. Um, but we kind of create this, and as soon as that one person falls, or, or if they're hurt, like there's this whole thing, and there's, there's an, it's one thing to be hurting spiritually, that when you hurt, I hurt. It's another thing to, to be uh, rejoicing when the other rejoices. That's one thing in oneness. But when it's a matter of, um, I think it's probably best explained by a quote uh, from Dr. Les Parrott. He says this, um, this whole, he says, this is a sentence that will revolutionize every relationship you ever have. I don't know, but maybe. Uh, if you try to build intimacy with another person before you do the hard work of getting healthy and whole, all your relationships become an attempt to fulfill yourself. The problem is that no one person is designed to make you whole. We're here to help each other, but it's not one person's job. And I believe that becoming whole, becoming healthy is God's plan for you as an individual. Single or married, God's plan for you is for you to be healthy and whole. And that only happens when you are deeply rooted in Christ. And the truth of the matter is that you'll go through seasons in which you're like, whoa, I thought I was deeply rooted. And, then, and I, I feel like it happens for me every year. And I was like, oh, I thought I had a grasp on that. And then God's like, go through this really painful season. He's like, yeah, I'm going to take you a little deeper because I love you. And then I come out a little more whole than I was the year before. And if, if you've been kind of continually broken, 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 and there's no wholeness to your brokenness, does that make sense? If there's no health to that, if there's no maturity kind of going through, um, then, then I, I think we probably need to back up and reevaluate. Um, am I just getting fulfilled through all these relationships? Or are they just all an attempt to fill myself? And then really when we come down to it, if we have a conversation about love, that's not love at all. Love is giving of yourself, and that's just taking. Because when there's this, this gap and this emptiness um, and this brokenness, we're always trying to fill that. Um, so anyway, I won't, won't keep going on that. But what I want to say is that you just bring baggage into a relationship. We all do. Uh, and when we start thinking about baggage, we start thinking about things I've done, the mistakes I've made, right? That's usually the first thing that comes up. But much of our baggage is not that of things that we've done. It, it goes beyond that. It's things that we had no control over. Our parents divorcing when we were 12 years old, the person that abused us from age seven to age nine, moving to 25 states in 20 years. Like, we, didn't, we couldn't control that. We didn't make that happen. But yet we have all this baggage that comes from that, things that we couldn't control and those seem to be the ones that are, are sometimes harder to get over. And I, I want to go to a place in Scripture that, where we see a rerun of some baggage that was passed on from generation to generation. And this isn't about all about generational stuff, but I, I believe it's, it's about each one of us. And like God wanting us to make us a whole individual as we are deeply um, rooted in Christ. We're going to talk about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob um, you'll remember those names. Um, Father Abraham had many sons, right? The first uh, uh, couple there, Abraham um, uh, had Isaac, and you guys remember, he was called to sacrifice him, and then uh, Jacob, who God will eventually change his name to Israel, and where we'll get the nation of Israel um, from that same name. So I want to talk to you just kind of about this story that seems to repeat itself in a new way, and um, kind of going back to the reruns, thinking through what reruns do we want to see continuing to happen, and which ones are we going to, going to leave here today? The Lord said to Abraham, this is Genesis chapter 12, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your people and your father's household to the land 
I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old, never too late to see the promise. He took his wife Sarai, who will eventually be changed to Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they'd accumulated, and all the people they had acquired in Haran, uh, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the side of the, of the great tree at, of Morah uh, at Shechem. Tough words here. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills uh, east of Bethel and uh, pitched his tent with uh, Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. And then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but you will let you live. Say you're my sister, so that I'll be treated well for the, your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. I'll, I'll catch you up on where that story goes. We're just going to stop reading for right now. A couple things. Go back. One, um, I think it's one or, or two. Um, I want you to notice verse 7. Um, many times... We think it's all about us. Like, I think just naturally as humans, everything is about us. Like, if someone says a comment, then they were saying that to us, when sometimes it has nothing to do with us. You know, many times we, it, we just take everything kind of personally as, as humans. But what verse 7 says is that this land that God was giving them, where he was taking them, that he had called him out of a place, out of a certain lifestyle, he had called him out of that, that the place he was taking them was not just for him, but it was for his offspring. And m m most of you, that, um, if, if you have children, you begin to have that picture of legacy and, if, and, and you have that picture of the next generation. Really, until then, you, you're really not grasping that, you know, I think in a very personal, tangible way, at least to the depth of it. But I think this is an important thing for us to realize, single or, or married, kids or no kids, that... Where God is taking you, what is he, he wants to do in you is not just for you. That, that there is this larger picture that what God is doing with you in this season, single or married, that is for the generations to come. And I don't know if you need that heaviness. I don't know if you need that burden of responsibility to kind of wake up to every single day. Um, but if you do, like there's a good place for it. Like what you do matters and like where God's taking you it matters for the generations to come. And you go on to the next verse, and he comes to this place, and it seems that everything's going great for Abram, right? He's 75 years old, hasn't had a kid yet, so that hasn't worked out like he thought, right? For those of you in the room that things just didn't work out like you thought, like it didn't work out for Ab Abram like he thought it would either. 
Here he is, 75 years old. God's given him this promise that he's going to have kids, but now he's, he's in his 70s and still no kid. And in that society, much more than what is our society, back then, like, it was, an, it was a place of honor to have a, a first, like a, like a son, to have to carry on your name. Like, there's still, like, hints of that within our culture, but nothing to the left. Like, if you did, were not able to bear, like, it, there was a lot of shame. And so when you see these stories of God just moving in miraculous ways um, to, to bring Sarah late in her years, a child, it was incredible. And it just kind of, it was a game changer. Um, but I, I think as we look at this, he, we see so much confidence in Abram to leave everything. Like, it takes a lot of confidence and a lot of faith in God when he tells you to do something, to literally step out to nothing. The whole year before we moved here, that's the only phrase that God gave us. I could not get that phrase, go to the land, I will show you. I told my pastor that sometime in the next year, I was going to be leaving uh, I didn't know where I was going, but God was taking us somewhere. I didn't know what I was going to be doing, but God was taking us somewhere. And like that was such a hard year because I was just, wait, God, when? What timing? Where am I going to go? And some of you are kind of wrestling with that. And, there's, and, and that's tough, and you can kind of identify with that first. But God, just trust God in the process. And the confidence is all there for him to leave everything until what happens? He, he, all, then all of a sudden, he's going to begin to kind of get his wife to lie how did he get to this lie? How did he get to this place where he was kind of like almost not ashamed, but like afraid? He was just living in fear now. Well, there was a famine in the land, right? If you pick up on that, there was a famine in the land, and he's going to go down to Egypt. When a famine happens, crisis happens, and stress happens, it's going to reveal what's on the inside of us. Maybe, sometime, maybe somebody in the room, like you're in a famine season. Maybe you're in a crisis. Maybe you're in a highly stressful or exhausting season. I'm telling you, in those seasons, when there's a famine, like it's going to reveal what's really going on inside, how really deeply rooted. And that's why many times, like if you begin to, to look through um, uh, divorce, but also just um, when marriages get really unhealthy most of the time, and even with individuals, what started that was some kind of crisis. There was something that took place. A job was lost. Someone got sick. That one thing um, said, uh, was said to them, and it kind of changed the way they were seeing things. Um, that one comment they made, there was something that happened that maybe wasn't even a crisis, but it, then it turned into it. And it became this cycle of unhealth. And that's what happens with here. him. All of a sudden, like, it's famine's happening. He's getting hungry. Now he's a little less secure, a little less confident. God, I thought you said you were going to take care of me here, right? We always hope, you know, by this point in our life, we would have a relationship, we'd be married, everything would be perfect. We have this kind of expectation of how everything would go. It doesn't go like that, and then all of a sudden, insecurity, all of a sudden, worry, all of a sudden, fear, and we start trying to fill that void with all kinds of other things with other people instead of having the confidence that we originally had. But in that season, God is revealing something. God wants to do something in that season to make us whole. James uh, chapter 1 uh, verses 2 through 4 talks a little bit about this, and it really is the statement of a mature believer, because not all of us can, can grasp with this. Consider it pure joy. Rarely do we consider it pure joy whenever we face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. I love this. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. 
I have a tendency that I want to be a rescuer. Anybody else can just be honest about that? Like I tend, like when something's going on, like I want to jump in and I want to rescue. Anybody else, like you just kind of help and like feel like you can do this? I have a tendency to do that. And uh, it's something that God has been shaping in me because, as you know, like, pastor gets a lot of crisis calls. <laughs> um, uh, I, I get a few of them a, a day or a week. Um, and so I have this tendency, and if, I will, if I'll let myself, like, I'll completely get wrapped up in the baggage. And I'll find myself walking away so burdened, but it, it's this daily gift of letting God make me whole and trusting him with the trial of somebody else, of what's going on in my life. But if you just underline mature and complete here, really the, the essence of the word, I, I think it's the Greek word um, teleos, um, or that's the root word there, which means whole. It means whole. Like God wants you whole. Like you've got to let it finish its work. And so that's why you can look back on a season that we're like, that was the worst time in my life. And I've heard people say, I wouldn't change it for anything now. Because God taught me how good he was. He taught me the depth of his grace, and that doesn't mean God wants us to, to go through all that stuff, but sometimes God allows it to happen, and we know that he works all things to the good of those that love him, and so he just works it together for our good, whether that was uh, our decision or if that was just the nature of living in a sinful world and something very sinful happened. Um, God knows how to, to bring it into um, our wholeness still and not leave us in our brokenness. And so I think it's just so interesting here. And so kind of where I want to just pause and then make a transition into the next generation here is that for Abram, we see this pattern of when the famine happened, it turned into all of a sudden insecurity, all of a sudden fear and worry about what others were going to do and how they were going to treat his wife. So what ends up happening here is that they find out that he was lying um, about his wife, and they're kind of mad about it. Like, why'd you tell us? Like, somebody could have, like, you know, taken your wife and, like, kissed her or something, like, right? And then that would have been so shameful. Like, why did you lie about this? They, they, his expectations for people's response was far worse than what it actually was. Anybody else have that scenario play out all the time? Like, you think it's going to turn out? You think it's going to say, I'm like, oh, it wasn't that bad. People do this all the time with, when I, like, call or text or, or like, hey, can we set up a meeting? People are like, oh, wait, like, I get called to the principal's office. And usually it's like, hey, how you doing? Like, what's going on? Just haven't talked to you in a while. I'm like, oh, I thought I was in trouble. I was like, what? But there's just this expectation. We play out this, what it's going to be in our head uh, much more than what it actually is. And that's what took place here. So I want to kind of hit the DVR, fast forward up here to Genesis chapter 25, and Abraham dies. Abraham dies, um, and uh, just bef- uh, before he did, Sarah uh, obviously um, um, was, I'm sorry, he had had Isaac, you guys know uh, some of that, Isaac, and then God called him to go and sacrifice him, so a little bit of a crazy relationship, but God, he saw that God, he trusted God for the sacrifice. So he has Isaac, and then Isaac has two sons, um, twins, in fact, uh, Jacob and Esau, they were paternal twins, um, because they looked really different. Um, Esau actually means Harry, basically hairy dude, super hairy dude. He was like Chewbacca, like the Chewbacca kid that just came out, like covered in hair and um, uh, with red hair. And then uh, Jacob actually means heel grabber because he came out just grabbing the heel of his, his brother as twins. And so that's where they get their names uh, from. But right there uh, at the end of, uh, after Abraham dies, at the end of Genesis chapter 25, we'll get to 26 here in just a second. At the end of 25, 
we see where um, Jacob tricks his brother. You guys remember the story where Esau is a hunter and he goes out to hunt and he comes back and when he comes back, he's starving. He's got his own little personal famine going on in his life. And here, we're, we've skipped a generation, we've skipped Isaac, and we're talking about Jacob and Esau. Esau's a hunter and he comes back and his brother Jacob says, I'll just take advantage of this opportunity. And so he, he deceives him. He takes advantage of him. He lies to him, however you want to do this, in order to take his birthright. He basically trades this cup of stew, like a hot bean stew probably. He trades it for his birthright, which is his inheritance as the firstborn. He came out, we're like, well, they're twins. He came out first in, in the culture there. He would get double in the inheritance that Jacob would get. So that's a, it's a big deal. And so he tricks him. He takes advantage. He lies to him, however you want to word it at this time, to give him the birthright, Jacob, the birthright, just for this cup of stew. So he gives it up. And, and I think as we begin to transition in here, I, I know like you're probably wrestling with the things of unhealth or the places that, man, we found our, ourselves a little bit weak or the things that have been passed on with us. And I just want you to know like it, it's, it's never going to be wor- worth it to give it up. It's never going to be worth it to give up the inheritance of what God's going to do in your life in the future for just the short moment of pleasure now. The famine will lie to you and tell you that you're going to die, but you know what? He would have been okay if he would have waited till dinner, but he gave up his, his inheritance for just a cup of stew in that moment. So even before we get, we've kind of skipped a generation before we're even talking about Isaac and what he ends up doing here in chapter 26. Before we ever do that, it's already been passed on, a skipped a generation, and we see this in Jacob and Esau. So let's look at chapter 26 so as we fast forward and move through to the next generation. This is like the one big chapter we get about Isaac here. Now, there was a famine in the land. Okay, we're many years down the road. Abraham's died now, and there's a famine. It's a different famine than what happened before. Besides the previous famine in Abraham's, Abraham's time, and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. Uh, the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. What's his first instinct when, fa- when famine happens? I'll do what dad did. I'll do what dad did, right? Dad went down to Egypt. It worked out for him okay. What's his first instinct is to do what dad did? And one of the guys I listen to a lot that deals with um, spirituality and uh, our emotions, he, he says that Jesus may be in your heart, but grandpa's in your blood, and grandpa's in your bones. And so it's just the idea that a, a lot of stuff just gets passed on. Like our first instinct is usually that which we saw or experienced. Even when we said, I don't ever want to see that rerun again, usually in the next generation what we have to face is our first instinct is to go to Egypt. A place that eventually will be kind of referenced as a place of bondage for the people, but even ahead of that. I think there's this, there's this um, really big kind of picture throughout Scripture that's being foreshadowed with the people of, of Israel in captivity in Egypt. I think it's being foreshadowed here that Egypt will be this place of slavery, that it'll be this place of of, of sinfulness that's just naturally this slavery, this bondage of sin that we find ourselves to. That's the first place we run. Isn't it like when we're hurting, when we hit the famine, what's the 
first thing, whatever that, that little secret sin that nobody knows about, it's the first place we get bitter, the unforgiveness, the jealousy, the lust, whatever, that's the first place we go when we start getting hungry. Stay in the land for a while. Live in the land where I tell you to live. And, and so many times, I think, as individuals, I think you just got to get comfortable in who God's called you to be and that if he tells you, like where he tells you to live is where you need to live. If he tells you, you you just need to be single, then just be single. If if girls keep breaking up with you or guys keep breaking up with you, God might just be telling you it's, you just need to be single. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I'm just I'm making that up. Um, but I, I think what, what I'm trying to say here is, is that where God tells us to live personally, it's not about living up to whatever expectation that we had or of others. It's about doing what God's asked us to do. So don't run down to Egypt. Live in the land where he tells us to. Stay in this land for a while. wasn't going to be forever. Nine out of ten want to be married, uh, and, mo- and most do. Stay in this land for a while, and I'll be with you, and will bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the skies, repeating it, and will give them all these lands. And through the offspring, all nations, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed, because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands and my decrees and my instructions. Let's keep reading. Because I just want you to see this, because what's going to happen sounds super familiar. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. So uh, when the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, She's my sister. Because he was afraid to say, she's my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah because she's beautiful. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech uh, summoned Isaac and said, See, she is really your wife. Why did you say she's my sister? Isaac answered him, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Let's just stop there for a second. Seen this story before? Does it sound like a rerun? Right? It's, it's a different famine. It's a different generation. But here's first instincts. He's got Jesus in his heart. Let's just kind of stretch it here. This is Old Testament, so Jesus wasn't really in his heart necessarily. Um, but he's, he's got grandpa in his bones. He's got dad in his bones. And, and some of us may be wrestling with some things that our natural gut instinct is just kind of what comes natural. But I, I think... If we can submit the natural today, I believe that God's going to fill us with the supernatural. If we'll submit Egypt, God's going to give us Gerar. God's going to give us Canaan. If we'll just say, okay, that, that might have been for somebody else. It's not, it's not for me. It's not God's plan for me. And so it goes on. Um, keep, keep reading here. Abimelech said, this, uh, what is this you've done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife, and you have um, brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people, anyone who harms this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Do I have one more verse? I don't guess I have verse 12. I wanted to read verse 12. My bad. Isaac planted crops in that land, and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow um, and became very wealthy. So many, uh, he had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So he's moved from this place where of, of fear, the famine happens, and then he goes right back where, where Pop went. The same place, trying to 
wrestle with that. And it was completely unfounded. And many times I think somebody's probably dealing with that right now. The insecurity that's just kind of set in and it's really all you've known for the past decade or two is just this insecurity about your image. And it, it blows me away that like supermodels are super insecure. Like what? Like all you do is get plastered on but then you know what they do? They touch them up and they do all this stuff so they're dealing with all this insecurity stuff. The reason you're insecure, no one else is probably thinking. You know, just because one like numbskull fifth grader said it to you when you were in fourth grade, like, doesn't mean that's what everybody's going to say the rest of your life about you. You know, and and so some of these things have been with us for a while, and and they've been passed on, um, even. And and I just want us to stop for a second and and recognize that some of the stuff's just completely unfounded, and, and even more so, it, it's a lie of the enemy, and that we've got to really grab a hold of. Take captive of every thought. Take captive of every thought. Because God wants you whole. He wants you whole. He, he wants the relationship that you have. The best relationship is going to be when two people are whole and they're deeply rooted in Christ. And you may be looking for kind of what's down the road, but God's just telling you, just rest where you're at. Rest where you're at. Settle, settle in this season. Settle in this place. Let God do something with you right here. The story continues, right? We're in chapter 26. Flip over to chapter 27. We won't read it. But here, um, Isaac is now late in his years. And Jacob and Esau have had this whole kind of thing since the very beginning. Esau wanted to kill his brother for stealing his, birth, his birthright, his, his, um, his inheritance. And then here we get to chapter 27, and there's this whole story that plays out where, again, Jacob is trying to deceive his father, lying, deceive his father in order to have the final blessing from the father, which was like a big deal, and it usually went to the firstborn. So here, it's like insecurity led to fear, which led to lying. Next generation, famine that led to uh, fear and anxiety and insecurity that led into lying. Here in this generation, wanting what someone else had, and not resting in the season you're in, not resting in your place as the second born. And I think it robs us while we think we're taking, like we're trying to live up to something, it, we're really robbing ourselves of what God has for us. And, and that's, I, I think, it just the, the big message here is that God wants to do something in you and through you in this season. And so don't rush past it. Don't, don't be trying to find out. Don't be running to Egypt. Um, recognize that the, our, our tendency many times is run straight to sin, is run straight to Egypt when the famine happens. And know that, hey, when the famine does happen, because it probably will, when the crisis happens, like I want my marriage, I want my life to, to, to my, my heart to be in such a place that Everything's not going to fall to pieces because it's in Christ alone. And what we don't realize is that we put so much of our fulfillment in everything else. And everything else can fade away. I love my wife and I hope that we die at the same time when we are 99 years old. But if, if she is the place that I find my fulfillment and for whatever reason, some freak accident happens and I lose her. Where will I have stood? What fulfilled me? And you can 
do that to your job. You can do that to your children. Everything else that we attempt, every other relationship, every friendship or hobby, it can be taken like that. And what's not going anywhere is Jesus Christ. He's not going anywhere. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. His friend that sticks closer to the brother. Do I need to keep hitting the pastor cliches out of the Bible? Right? He's not going anywhere. He's the same. And so I just want to encourage you, be fulfilled in Christ today. Rest in the season you're in. If you're in a famine season, don't run to Egypt. Let, let God do something in it. Trust him in it. Don't run to the insecurities. Don't run to Egypt. You guys with me this morning? Uh, I believe that God's going to speak to us in, um, in this time, and I just want to ask you to stand. The band's going to come, and, <clears throat> and we're going to sing a song and, and just in, invite you for prayer and what God's going to do in this time. I was telling some of the guys in uh, my uh, growth group a couple weeks ago, couple, you know, I'd had a couple conversations that um, they were just kind of battling with the same, same thing, same temptation, same kind of me- mental, almost mentally fatigued over this kind of the cycle, the rerun, if you will. Does anybody know what I'm talking about, the rerun spiritually? Do you guys kind of get in that? I was talking to these guys and... Um, and I could only speak out of personal experience when I really found freedom beyond the rerun, when I really saw the, the rerun stop playing, is when I really let God make me whole from the inside. When the famine season, I wasn't trying to hit eject out of the famine season, I was just kind of like, all right, God, I'm here. What now? What now? And so I just want to challenge you, if, if you're in that season, just to let God do the work, rest in it, let him do the work. Um, if you've come in here with some things uh, this morning, I want to invite you to prayer. I'm going to go ahead and invite you to the table as well, and then we're going to sing a song. But um, let's pray. God, thank you. God, thank you for your goodness and your grace, that your plan for my life is perfect for my life. And Forgive us, God, forgive me for the times that I run to Egypt. Forgive me for the times that I just want to do what's been passed down or what I've seen. But I pray, God, that you, out of being in my heart and deeply rooted in you, that would bleed into every decision, every thought pattern, that I would take captive every thought. God, and I just pray that in our place in Christ would just be so deeply rooted in you, God, that joy would never be taken from us. That we have our happy days and our sad days. God, our joy would be ever-present on a daily basis. I pray, God, today for every single person that's in this room that has maybe carried a heavy load in here. We're carrying some baggage. I pray today, God, that you would release that from them and they would release it here in this altar in this time. And we just trust you, God. We trust you with this baggage. We trust that you will make it whole. We trust you with our lives in Christ's holy name. Amen and amen.